Welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast! This is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us from Canada, one of us from the United States, serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area in Canada. And I am Joanna Boyd, also a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver area in Canada. And I'm Chris Boyd, a psychotherapist from Coquitlam. 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 Was that actually your your town your town of birth, Chris? Were you born there? It is, yeah, born and raised. It is a suburb of Vancouver. Just trying to be... Technically, you were born in New Westminster. At the hospital? Yes, and then you lived in Coquilla. Good point. Yes. Okay. And you, Joe? Same thing? Yep. All right. Okay, well, let's keep going. Brooke, where were you born? And then where did you live? I was born and raised in Burnaby. Burnaby. Another suburb. Yeah, another suburb of Vancouver. So um, Burnaby and Coquitlam are neighbors. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. And uh, and you, Ryan? I was born in Portland, Oregon. Lived there until second grade. Then I moved to Bend, Oregon. Beautiful place. Sometimes I think I'm crazy for leaving. And I came down here to California for graduate school, and I never left. So here's where I am, Southern California guy. Earthquakes, fires, all that good stuff. How uh, how big is Bend? Bend is big. Well, for it, compared to when I lived there, it had been about uh, twenty thousand people by the time I graduated high school, and now it's over a hundred thousand. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a uh, it it just grew. It exploded. It's a great. Um, recreational town in the winter it's skiing and snowmobiling and all the winter sports and summertime it's a mountain biking kayaking hiking sort of mecca so it's it's really outdoorsy it's wonderful there so yes a lot of people (laughs) a lot of people moved from california to bend figuring that was a, a great spot it was the prices were a little cheaper up there for a while and then a lot of the people from Bend kind of resented that. <laughs> so, but now, now Bend is filled with a lot of ex-Californians. So not much complaining going on. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And I went the other direction. What do you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a lot of togetherness there. It's a very, there's a lot of people in Bend now. Speaking of togetherness. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Good segue. Wow. Thank you. Uh, so, yes, just to recap from last week, we're doing a book club of sorts. We're, we're going to all read a book and we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. Is that right? Two weeks? Two, two more. Two more weeks. We'll talk about it on the 29th. Um, the book is called Together. Vivek Murthy is the author. Uh, Surgeon General of the United States, and uh, so far I'm about uh, almost a third of the way into it, I would say, and I'm really enjoying the book quite a lot. That's good. I'm not yeah. as far in, but I'm also enjoying it. Yeah, I'm uh, like on page four, maybe, <laughs> and I I stopped reading it to get my notepad so I can start taking notes already. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm mm. sure we will have lots to say. Yeah. Are no- you starting to read it yet? I'm just curious where that notepad is. Do you have to go buy one or is it close by? Um, for me, I haven't actually started. I'm trying to finish off a book by um, Jay Shetty, which is actually pretty good. Think like a monk. Um, so I am basically done that. I Like Ryan, I listened to my books. So I have like three minutes left on that one. So I'm going to start together tomorrow. The togetherness mm. yes we'll all be together in this okay one of the oh. one of the things that i'm not very far in but they kind of throw some statistic stuff at you i don't know if uh ryan and brooke well maybe brooke if you're literally on page four you wouldn't have reached this part yet but just talking about the 
loneliness and its impact on reducing one's lifespan. And they compared mm -hmm. it to having, it's the same as having 15 cigarettes a day. Oh, crazy. And then it's, and it has even a greater impact than obesity on lifespan. So it's, uh, it should be taken as seriously as some of these, yeah, alcohol, mm -hmm. drugs, obesity, in terms of how it affects us. So yeah, I was like, holy smokes. Yeah, so anyways, a lot of key points that I'm very intrigued by and looking forward to reading more. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's it's really the origin of it is really neat, too. I, I think I could tell tell a bit of this story without spoiling it for anybody. But when uh, <clears throat> when Dr. Murthy became um, the Surgeon General down here, which is kind of like our top our top doctor kind of uh, advising a lot of medical uh, policy down here, uh, he decided that what he wanted to do is, is go around and do like a speaking tour, a listening tour. So he spent a couple of months traveling around the United States going to small towns, big towns, wherever, and listening to people talk about kind of what their, what their major concerns were. And typically the Surgeon General is uh, thinking about things like smoking or obesity or kind of these uh, drug use, um, kind of the, the real public health issues. But he said that as he was listening to people's stories, it just a, a, a recurring theme was this uh, loneliness that people were feeling. And that maybe it wasn't prominent. Maybe people were coming out saying, well, you know what, doctor, I'm really lonely. But instead what they talk about is how oh, I have this problem and there's no one there for me to talk to. Or, um, gosh, I just feel so alone sometimes that I turn to drinking instead or other things that would just kind of be kind of uh, symptomatic of the loneliness that, uh, that he was noticing. So he decided, you know what, this is kind of an epidemic. We need to do something about this. So the book is all about kind of what the effects of loneliness might be and how, how people might address it. And I, I'm really fascinated so far. There's a lot of, as there are with a lot of uh, books kind of like this, there's a lot of overlaps and some other names that we've already talked about kind of get mentioned in here. And so it's a, it's a nice, nice book so far. So big fan cool. together, pick it up folks. And then you'll be, you know, if you read it along with us, as you can tell, Chris hasn't even started it yet. So I'm not. We got plenty of time. We got two weeks to before the podcast. And as we have a very informed, note-filled discussion in a couple of weeks, uh, you'll be right up to date with us. Maybe you could even send in any questions you'd like us to answer if you if you want our opinion about the book, I guess. You could throw mm -hmm. in a question or two. Uh, just shoot us an email at info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Yeah. So do we have like a, a framework? Are we going to uh, assess the book? Are we going to rate it on a scale of zero to 10? Uh, I guess. Yeah. Brooke uh, was mentioning something about that, right? Yeah. All those things. Okay. So what you liked or didn't like, uh, would you recommend it? And if you were to who, would it be good for a practitioner or a client or both general public? Like who would get something from the book? Um, if there's right. any interesting pieces, was it easy to read, difficult to read, you know? Just general thoughts or opinions, or if it anything that you found interesting or stuck out, takeaway points. And yeah. On a scale of zero to ten, what do you think you would give the book? Um, for my book club, we are doing like we do zero to ten, but we're now kind of breaking it into two categories, like subjective and objective. So subjectively, did I like this book? Like mm -hmm. personally, did I subjectively enjoy it? And then objectively, how well was it written? um that's that kind of piece to it interesting okay so up to you how you want to do your rating scale but yeah very informal um without i don't want to be a a downer for anybody but you might be thinking oh wow you know this might be a, an interesting time for you to have an ambush from uh vivek murthy you know from dr murthy to come and like ambush us during this time and like talk about his book I want to let you guys know that's not happening. <laughs> he, if he is, anyone knows him, let us know. Oh, if but. anyone if anyone knows him, great. But he is the you know the current acting Surgeon General of the United States. I uh, and also that means that he's in Washington D.C. probably, and he's not going to jump on here at midnight on a Thursday. I don't think so. So we're not going to have that. Just don't mean to burst anyone's bubble, but uh, we'll just talk about it instead. Yeah. <laughs> It's good. I, I don't know that anyone's thinking about that, but 
We can always send him a tweet, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll yeah. tweet. Let's tweet the heck out of him. That's great. Totally. Yeah. That sounds fun. Cool. cool. I'm excited. Yes. It's going to be fun. A little, little something different for us. So, shall we get to our topic for the night? Yes, I'm curious. Is it a topic that we know about? Or is no, it Chris. Uh, a sociological no. topic? Oh, I see. No, it's an ambush. We don't know the topic. <laughs> what, what do you mean a sociological? What do you oh, mean by that, topic, Chris? His topic last week. Referring to the topic oh, last week. Yeah. yeah. It was quite the ambush there. Just reflecting More sociology on... than psychology. Yes, we talked about toxic masculinity last week. Caught us off guard. We all wished we'd <laughs> done a little more that research. That topic ahead of time would have been real great. Yes, it's all right. We we live and learn. Hey, you know what? The whole idea with this ambush thing is sometimes you got to just think on your feet. Sometimes you got to admit that you don't know what you don't know, right? Uh, as therapists, right? When you're in the rooms, client brings something up you don't know about. You don't want to fake it. Them. <laughs> you don't necessarily refer them. You. You say, you know what? I'm not so sure. Let me do some looking at that and I'll come back to you with it. You know, whatever sure. it might be. Yeah. That's no, okay. Well. Yeah, for sure. Yes. This one, I don't know that we're going to have so much trouble with that. I get to be the ambusher tonight. Are you ready, everybody? Mm -hmm. We are ready. Okay. Ambush Here's the ambush. Time. Ambush time. Here it goes. On your mark, get set, go. Social anxiety. Why do we have it? What can we do about it? These are common questions that we have. Here's another little twist I want to throw in there. What is its relationship to uh, shyness and introversion? How, how can we distinguish between social anxiety, shyness, and introversion? So social anxiety... Why do we have it? What can we do about it? And how is it related to shyness and introversion? Neat topic. A lot of people talk about social anxiety these days. So it's kind of a, it's almost, it's not quite as, as pervasive as, as OCD and ADD and a lot of other things that people kind of toss around kind of just casually, but it's almost there. It's, people talk about social anxiety a bit. I agree. I think it's um, come up more and more. Mm -hmm. uh, and definitely in my younger populations, social anxiety, they bring it up. They think they're socially anxious and, mm -hmm. and exploring that. So, yeah, no, I agree with you. I, um, um, just observationally, it seems to be on the rise. It does. It does seem to be on the rise, or at least in the common, common language. Um, and also, by the way, a little bit timely here because as things are starting to open up a little bit here in the States, people are mentioning this a bit more as well. Like, whoa, I'm either I'm scared to, to expose myself even potentially to any sort of virus, or I'm just kind of scared of being back in big group social situations and what that might mean. So, uh, so yes, something we want to, we want to talk about here. So social anxiety. What is it? Do you guys have any sort of ideas? And I think this is a good one where we where examples might be good as well. If you guys have any from your own life or your clinical work, what social anxiety sure. might look like. Well, as we uh, have explored in the past, um, anxiety, I see it as the anticipation of harm and danger. So often it's associated with those what if thoughts that pop into our minds. And uh, quite commonly, uh, catastrophizing as well. So thinking of the worst case scenario that may happen. Brooke mentioned that it tends to pop up with the younger uh, population and for good reason, because the emphasis is often on connection, social connections with friends, right? And you don't want to do anything that may jeopardize uh, your ability to, to have those relationships. So it's very, very present in the minds of, uh, of I think, everybody, but... Uh, but uh, especially with those younger clients that we see. Yeah, kind of simply put, I would say it's kind of a fear in some ways of being in so, uh, social settings or situations. 
Um, or like Chris said, kind of thinking that that's going to be a danger to the individual, not necessarily an actual danger, but fearing being criticized or judged by people. Um, there might be some difficulty talking with people, meeting new people. Um, yeah, that's kind of what jumps out to my mind for social anxiety. And it's to a point where, yeah, it might cause yeah, a lot of discomfort and stress thinking about being in a social situation. Um, and there's usually a lot of avoidance there, depending how bad it is for the individual. Yeah. So it can vary, right? It could be mm -hmm. in um, with one or two individuals, or it could be going to the mall um, where there's a, crowds of people as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, or differentiating crowds as well as talking about crowds today with one client. General crowds are fine. Like if you were to go to the PE, so the PE up here is like a annual. Uh, like a fair with lots of rides and different things that comes in and out and is very popular. So there's lots of people there. Um, and she would be okay with that. But if it was around her school, like if she went somewhere and there was a bunch of people of her age group that go to her school, that would generate a lot more anxiety. Mm -hmm. Or if she went to a location where there was a lot of people of her age group, that would also generate anxiety. But mixed yes. age with lots of people was, would be fine, right? So, but again, that echoes the uh, the fear of judgment from a peer group, and especially during a time of life when your whole life is centered around social connection. Big time, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You know, it might be actually this might be a good place to to introduce those those other questions to kind of distinguish between um, shyness, social anxiety. Uh, introversion and social anxiety and shyness. Um, if you don't mind, we could dive into that. I guess I'll start off, if you don't mind, and just say that, that like speaking of shyness, shyness is, um, is, is certainly difficult for a lot of people. It's when, you know, when it's, it's, it's hard to maybe uh, get up the, the gumption to go up and speak to somebody and maybe a little bit challenging to, uh, to, to show up at a party or to, to be the first one to speak up. But contrasting that with social anxiety, social anxiety is debilitating. It, it, is, it, it impairs your functioning. It's something that keeps you from going to the party or um, keeps you from, from maybe going to school even or from uh, going to some important events at work or, or something like that. So it's, it's much more debilitating. Mm -hmm. um, you could say that, uh, that shyness is, is a very light form. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, what someone might say, it's kind of part of, part of who they are. They're, they're, they're shy. Maybe at some point they, they come out of their shell, they open up and they become more confident. Um, but social anxiety is a, it, it's a disorder in, in our, in our DSM. Uh, for a reason, because it actually impairs people's functioning and ability to uh, enjoy life and, and to kind of pursue the the issues in their life, the the tasks of their life. Does that jive with you guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking that, yeah, feeling nervous or, or timid or more, you know, more reserved, like those types of descriptors kind of pop into my mind. For shyness? Shyness, yeah. Yeah. But I, I like, so it may lead to um, some avoidance per se, but of course not to the same extent or level as social anxiety. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. The shy yes. person is still going to go to the party, but they're going to be maybe sitting on the couch in the corner, talking to one or two people or listening to the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, a bit of a wallflower effect, right? But versus yeah, social anxiety, chances are that person isn't at the party. Nope. Yeah, they might not be at the party or the thought of going to the party could make them lose sleep or have them shaking and, yeah. you know, nervous and short of breath. I mean, yep. a true anxiety yeah. reaction. Um, yeah, the shy yeah. person might might need a little encouragement to, to walk through the door, but uh, the socially anxious person is going to be terrified. It's, exactly. And often they'll have a friend with them and they'll be, you know, uh, attached at the hip to the friend. Mm-hmm safety and security if they are there but yes absolutely it's very debilitating yeah so, so a shy person probably would not like being put on the spot like uh if you show up to a party and you're just it's how they interact i think they uh, in a lot of ways want to be there they want to you know um experience the the, the 
the gathering, right? But if someone's like, okay, let's play a, a game now, a cranium or, or charades, that would probably be pretty intensive for a shy person, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and for a socially anxious person, they would leave. <laughs> It'd be impossible, sure, yeah. Or feel, it might feel impossible, right? Yeah. Yeah, like there's that desire, I talk to teens and one teen in particular, and she wants to be able to talk with people and go to school, right? But she stays at home and all she thinks about is how, you know, she, she'd be worried she'd humiliate herself or say something silly or that she'd, uh, yeah, she'd feel embarrassed or someone would think badly of her. And it's just, you're almost taken over by these thoughts that usually aren't based on, sometimes are not based on um, rational things, or it might be one situation happened to them and now it's kind of spun into something that they can't really control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's definitely one of the most common anxiety disorders. I think. Is it not? I I would I don't know the stats on that, but I would imagine so. Other than like generalized anxiety, I think it's more more common than an OCD or. Wouldn't the most common one be phobia? Perhaps. Would. Yeah. No, I don't think it's the most common. I think it's one of the most common. Mm. Um, and in some cases, I would, this would almost be like a social phobia in some ways. Anyways. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that I was actually a very shy person in elementary school and first year of high school. Um, remember the, being in those, you know, going to high school, that transition was, was very difficult and challenging at times. Um, so again, trying to avoid attention, fly under the radar. The idea of a class presentation was was pretty intensive and excruciating, right? Um, never got to the point where I was avoiding school completely, of course, but it was just, I got very savvy in terms of uh, who I interacted with and, and how I uh, kind of navigated through some of those awkward situations. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Chris. And, you know, I guess as we get to what can what can one what can a person do about things, you know, maybe we'll hear the other part of the story where we hear how you became the uh, ebullient extrovert that you are today. The gregarious. That makes me think it's, uh, and I think Ryan, you mentioned to kind of differentiate with introversion as well. Yeah. Um, because I think shyness and introversion are a bit different as they yes. are from social anxiety. Yes. When I think of introversion for myself, I feel like there's a, I'm partly both extroverted and introverted. Um, yeah, I think of needing time to myself to kind of, um, I think of, extroverts is liking to be around people and getting energized from being around people and really liking to socialize. And I think of introverts as they might be able to do that to some capacity, but they also need some solo time or it's not as they don't really seek that for energizing themselves, like the social situation. I don't know. Yeah. What you guys think in terms of that. Mm -hmm. I think it's also um, not just people, like if you're around people or not, but it's also my understanding was, um, the energy like from the room or being out like environments in general like Mm. external sources so introverts might be or are more will replenish from internal sources and extroverts will replenish from external sources Mm. i like that Um, including people right um like an introvert was going to be more compelled to be like you know what no i just want to stay home and hunker down in my room and read or, or do those things. An extrovert after a busy week might be like, I need to go for a walk. I need to go to the park. I need to get out. I need to get, move around. Like I need other environments. Um, yeah. Right. I think uh, that's part of it. I'll, I'll let me ex- expand on that a little bit and say that as far as, as far as the science of this is concerned, um, introversion is a personality trait. It's just something that we're kind of born with and it's not something to be treated. It's not something to be, you know, worked on or something like that. Whereas shyness to some degree and and social anxiety to a much greater degree are considered to be problematic and something that people 
can and and will work on or, or can and do work on at times to uh to help them kind of overcome it no one needs to overcome introversion right exactly right but if you're in a if you if you are a new kid in school and you want to make friends but you're shy that's something you want to work on trying to you know grow through grow past and you know boost yourself up if you're someone who needs to interact with school or work or society in general and you have social anxiety that can be very debilitating and get in the way and you certainly need to uh you know it, it can help you to, to work on that and we'll talk about that in a minute but introversion is it's a personality trait introversion extroversion mm-hmm. it's just kind of uh as you were saying before it's commonly understood it's like where do you get your batteries charged are your batteries charged when you're alone or with a small group of people or very you know small group of familiar people something like that great if it's more that you, you know, if you're the type where you go to the party and you have such a great time and it takes you, you know, it takes you a long time to wind down because you're just like so amped up from being around all those people, probably more on the extrovert side, right? Um, because you've just been so filled up with all that social interaction. Yeah. And and it's not, it's not a binary black or white thing. It's a, it's a spectrum. Uh, people in the middle. Uh, it popping up more and more these days is the term ambivert. So people who are kind of right in the middle of introvert, extrovert. Uh, so, and that it can be circumstantial as well. I, I like, I love having parties. I love being at parties. I love all of that stuff too. And I also love my downtime. So I, I think I'm squarely in the ambivert <laughs> category there. Yeah, I think I would be too. And a lot of people I connect with tend to be in that middle range um mm-hmm. in the ambivert status yeah yeah so so i hope that kind of helps clarify that shyness is a mild version of social anxiety which is extreme and really requires treatment then and impairs uh functioning in life and introversion is not not a disorder it's not a problem it's just Actually, it's a problem if you are an introvert living in an extroverted world or in an extroverted career or extroverted family, then it could cause a lot of distress for you. If there, are, if there are extrovert expectations of you while you're actually introvert personality, that could be problematic. And I've definitely seen clients uh, and some friends where that's been the case, you know, like, you, like an introvert in a, in a very kind of gregarious marketing or sales job that's hard it's hard for them to do yeah mm-hmm. they're going to burn out pretty quickly because that's so mm-hmm. relational and social you know mm-hmm. yeah whereas i've heard that when uh when, when they're hiring air traffic controllers they uh they actually like try to screen for people to make sure they're not getting extroverts in that in that place they want introverts want people who are just going to focus and not be you know, Gabby and social too much because they want to just focus on the uh, on the task at hand, you know? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Right? Sure. Yeah. sure. Okay, so getting back to, so we've kind of defined what, what social anxiety is. Uh, we probably have some examples, some more examples of that coming along. But gosh, what can what can we do about it? I guess, what can we do about it on a on a non-clinical level, like if could someone, if one of our listeners is, is listening right now and saying, gosh, I feel like maybe I have social anxiety or I, uh, I have a loved one who I think deals with social anxiety. Is there anything that can be done sort of immediately there? And then what do we do when someone with social anxiety comes to treatment? How do we, how do we address that in a psychotherapy setting? Um, when it comes to shyness as well as social anxiety, um, I think one of the underlying messages is, you know, trying to calm the body and, um, shift the mind and kind of step into that discomfort. Right. So we've talked a a lot about ways to maybe calm ourselves down and, and maybe develop a mindset that can help us do what we need to do to have that balance in our lives. Um, I think the culprit or one of the biggest ways in which we cope with shyness and social anxiety, especially is avoidance. So avoidance uh, can give us a temporary relief, 
um, which is nice, but of course it will kind of probably make it a little tougher to, to do it the next time. So the more we avoid, the tougher it often becomes to, to have that balance or to, to face those fears. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Every time you avoid, you're kind of, you're reinforcing the idea that uh, avoidance is fine. Like it's okay. The way to go. Yeah. Yeah. That way I don't have to feel all those feelings. I imagine I would feel in that situation. Right. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So calm the body. I think we've talked about some of those techniques. Um, but I, yeah, I was talking to someone today about ways to kind of refocus the mind and, you know, mindfulness is so great. Noticing the thoughts, non-judgmentally or curiosity and trying to focus back on the moment. Mm-hmm. Or a second way would be maybe making that pivot to positivity. So maybe uh, rehearsing a mantra or a quote or thinking of something you're grateful for can kind of shift that energy within your mind and body. Or um, a cognitive behavioral technique, which we can explore too, is um, reframing or kind of um, challenging those thoughts. So not going down the rabbit hole and spiraling here, it's more of a, a quick reframe and, and again, trying to step into that discomfort. Step in. Okay. People talk about that. That's a, that's a buzz word, buzz phrase that we talk about in psychotherapy a lot. Step into that discomfort or, or the only way, the only way through is through. I don't know. What is the say, the saying there, but you got to go, you got to go through it. So, I mean, you've got someone who feels anxious how are you saying go go feel anxious go head first into your anxiety that's a scary proposition isn't it i think that would be flooding wouldn't it if it would be a little too intensive sure i think that person would probably want to like chris mentioned try to work on some of those relaxation techniques their coping techniques to start to or to learn about anxiety and, and the body and what's happening for themselves get to know it a bit more, notice that it doesn't need to be this big, scary thing, work on relaxing themselves, calming the body. And then, you know, if they feel like they have some good tools in their toolkit, they can maybe gradually, you know, face some of the things that um, are anxiety provoking to them. And then notice that when the things happen in their bodies that they're like, oh, right, I know what's going on here. I don't need to be afraid of it. I'm gonna learn how to sit with this discomfort and overcome it or know that, hey, that wasn't worst case scenario. So I wouldn't say go flood, like jump right into it, but maybe get some tools first. Mm -hmm. Like going, if you're going to the grocery store, go to a checkout with a teller instead of an automatic checkout. And have like a little conversation with the person about like, you know, the small talk, the dreaded small talk. Or going to a party. Mm. Okay, you're talking about like the the whole idea of systematic desensitization of like Mm -hmm. you're systematically going from no contact to very small, bit kind of superficial contact to something that may be a little more intense, right? Yeah. While all the while you're kind of keeping in mind your relaxation exercises and and all of that, right? I think, uh, you know, and I'm pretty sure we've talked about this a few times, but with anxiety, your perception of the anxiety is often a, a big part of it. So if you view anxiety as scary and bad, and um, mm-hmm. then that's not going to be helpful for you. But if you understand anxiety is just a physiological response, and it's just anxiety is trying to sell you a bunch of BS about why this situation is dangerous when it's not really true, you know, we can put that in perspective. We don't have to be fearful of it, and you're not going to implode. It'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You move so forward. True. You can get through that, and as long as you can build some confidence in it, then you're going to be more willing to do it again. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Anxiety will always err on the side of caution, unless you give it a reason not to. Right. Just trying to keep you safe. It just does too good of a job sometimes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I like that gradual approach, but also what Joanna was saying too about the uh, understanding how your body works. Right. You can notice the thought, automatic thoughts and the sensations and the feelings, and you're like, oh, wow. And you observe it instead of riding that roller coaster. Then, how um, powerful can that be? You know, you're, you can respond to it instead of just reacting constantly okay. to these or triggers. buying into it, generally buying into it, right? Yeah, taking you the don't bait. Have to. Yeah, you can observe it instead and have that space 
Yeah. I'm going to make an appeal for, for another, uh, another layer to this as well, which is to ask the question, why, why, why do I feel this way? Right. Um, where does, where does this come from? So when, when people talk about, you know, let's say a client came in for the first time saying, gosh, I feel all the social anxiety. One of the questions I'm going to ask is how long has this been going on? You know, when was the first time you felt this way? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, maybe it's just been going on for a couple of months and then I want to figure out, well, what happened a couple of months ago? You know, what, what happened to kind of set yeah. this whole process off in the first place? Um, did something horrible happen? You know, were you humiliated at a party and suddenly, you know, now all parties seem scary. That's, that's the way mm-hmm. some sort of phobic reactions happen or, or originate. Um, and it, even if, even if it's been a long-term thing, I'd want to check out, well, gosh, do you remember a time when you didn't have this? Was there ever a time in your life when you weren't feeling socially anxious or a setting in your life when you weren't socially anxious? Because yeah. that's very interesting information too, because gosh, maybe it's only in a school setting or in a work setting or in a family setting or friendship or whatever it might be. So then we want to figure out, okay, how can we use that information to help us mm-hmm. um, make these scary spaces uh, mm-hmm. not so scary. Mm-hmm. And, and then the most kind of uh, the deeper work I might do is say, okay, well, if you're feeling scary now, what, what, what does this remind you of maybe from your childhood even? And there are some times when people will say, ah, yeah, well, I remember being on the playground and always being picked last for the team. And so that was humiliating. Mm-hmm. And I feel that same way whenever I go to happy hour or whatever it might be, you know, mm-hmm. and those sorts of those sorts of connections that people can make from their past to the present can sometimes unlock something for them. And they feel like, oh, OK, I'm not on the playground. I'm not in second grade. I'm not on the playground anymore. I don't have to feel that way any longer and it can really ease them, ease their stress at, at times. So that's mm-hmm. just in some cases, right? Kind of totally. working with people in that, in that way. Yeah. No, I agree. There's um, one of the therapists we work with, she compared anxiety to like a vine. Like, so if you were to have like a vine in your yard, so we have like an invasive vine up here called morning glory. Mm-hmm. I'm sure other places would find it as beautiful. They're like, nice green leaves and these big open flowers, but very aggressive. Like this thing's going to grow everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so she compared anxiety to like morning glory. So I'm sure somewhere back there, it was planted, it rooted. Um, But then over time, especially if it's not dealt with, and then you're, you know, doing all the avoidance or these different like safety behaviors, that vine is going to grow and it's going to start touching all di- these different areas or circumstances in your life. And it's going to start to affect more things. So it's really interesting, right, to see what it ends up taking over. But if it hasn't been cared for, it might have started as something like that. Or maybe somebody was in the mild form a bit more shy. And then there was some avoidance for behaviors. And then that avoidance actually turned into anxiety. And that anxiety is now bigger. And it just mm-hmm. over, right? Um, so we want to trim that back. Yeah, I like that metaphor a lot. It's like that like good old saying, if uh, if your reaction does not fit the situation, it's probably stemming from the past. You know, stemming? Stemming. Oh, so there we go. I think um, we I think down here we don't we have bougainvillea, which is a beautiful, beautiful plant that just destroys things in its process. I mean it's it's gorgeous to look at, but you let it go for a few a few years and it will suffocate every other plant in its way. And it will, uh, I mean, I've seen it destroy fences. I mean, it's a massively <laughs> destructive plant, kind of like anxiety can be. So I think that's a great metaphor, bro. Yeah. Right. Where it generalizes out and then like, yeah. okay. Yes. You know, at the same time too, there is, there are a few other factors that might be happening here. Um, like genetics, right. Mm-hmm say 30 to 40% of the way that we feel might be impacted by genetics. So I want to look um, up the family tree there and see if there's any yeah, other. Uh, Joanna and I, or aunt, aunt Graz, I think she said years ago, she's like, you know, us or, or my mom's maiden name's Casey. As Casey's, we don't do well with anxiety. We're, we're an anxious bunch or a stress bunch, right? Huh. They all work, uh, most of them work in insurance, which doesn't help the cause. Hence why they're trying to get out of it. But um, but I think there's some truth to that too, right? 
you may actually not have a lot of these um, challenges in the past, but you may be more prone to feeling those sensations due to genetics. Mm. That's a great and point. And social learning as well. Um, I know this one's more a phobia, but I'm scared of spiders and I'm pretty certain that's because my mom is scared of spiders. And I've seen her vividly, I can vividly remember as a young, young child, seeing her freak out in regards to spiders. Um, mm -hmm. well, and just, I, I think yeah. I've learned that behavior from her, right? So if your parent is socially anxious, mm -hmm. then not saying that's the root cause, but it, it could be a contributing factor. Certainly. I, I, I've got to say just from a year, a year and a month of being locked down in the last few weeks, I've been a few places where there are large groups of people. Um, I mean, because now things in California are opening up a bit more. There's restaurants, people are eating indoors, this sort of thing. And and just to I actually walked through the mall to get something. There's a, a mall nearby here. And I just saw a whole lot of people. And I wasn't I wasn't scared so much as it was just startling to my system to see so many human beings kind of in the same place together mm -hmm. um and if that and I, I don't think i suffer from from much social anxiety or or even much shyness but if i'm i'm feeling that after a year of this like whoa you know my, my, i kind of feel this visceral sense of wow that's a lot of people i can only imagine someone with social anxiety after <laughs> being locked down for a year, what is that going to be like? So it's going to be tough. Yeah. Be, be really careful. Tough. Yeah. And on a, I'm sure maybe we'll talk about this in a different podcast, but um, also persons with health anxiety. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Sure. Can you elaborate? Uh, like anxiety about getting sick. Uh -huh. yeah. 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 So if they're going to be out in public, it might not necessarily be that there's people like worrying about fear of judgment or embarrassment or yeah criticism but the fear might actually be more centered around like germs yeah. um, and getting sick and illness totally. so. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially after all the messaging that we've got in the past 14 months yes um one other thing i want to point to we talked talk genetics talked about the past talked about uh environment environment like yeah, social certainly. social mm -hmm. environment mm -hmm. yeah social environment um to uh to you trauma specialists out there could could past trauma have anything to do could, could that create social anxiety or something that it looks like social anxiety i think you already answered that as yes in your own example yeah childhood yeah. stuff or yeah. i'm like yeah. ryan's turning yeah. into a trauma therapist well more of just a yeah depth there but yeah certainly things from your past but but like i'm thinking of like overlap with ptsd that sort of thing is there i think that could that also creates that same sensation yeah i would say so yeah i think sure. the sensations would be the same for sure it might not have the same triggers for lack of a better word um and i think the purpose is different sort yeah. of like anxiety whether it's about general anxiety or social anxiety like, usually feels quite similar. It's just depending what it's about or what mm. kind of sets it off. So and I think what PTSD, that voice is saying, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, are they judging me versus am I safe? Mm -hmm. Or just, mm -hmm. yeah, un uncertainty, things like that. So I agree. The more we learn about trauma, the more we realize it's often at the root of many forms of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Or, or stuff being stored in the body. Yeah. After high stress situations, or I think for sure it all plays together. Stored in the body, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, well, yeah, I think it's, there's a good book by Bessel van der Kolk. It's, I think, is it body keeps score body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. Um, he's a, yeah, very big trauma, uh, big, big trauma guy in our field. And uh, yeah, just talking about when we go through traumatic experiences, if our body remembers, essentially, if we're not able to process it or um, kind of, yeah, process the trauma as much as we need to, um, our bodies can get, what would you call it, 
I don't want to use the word triggered again, but get set off for certain sensations can be set off um, from future situations that either make us feel like we're back in that danger again or remind us of that danger. Um, sometimes we're not even cognitive, cognitively aware of what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It feels like we're reliving it, even though we're not. So someone yeah. who was bullied, I hear a lot from my teens, middle school is a tough time, grade six, seven up here in Canada, uh, like whether it's bullying and, and that just some of them are just so impacted. And so any type of social situations that are uncomfortable, it's all of a sudden they're flooded by kind of memories or their body feels like they're back in really awful times uh, being bullied. So. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, that sounds yeah. pretty miserable. If you yeah. imagine carrying that to a birthday party, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Evolutionarily, as well, just kind of switching, adding another element in here. Um, we do have a negativity bias, right? Like, so how I'm going to loop this in? There, there was like, do you guys remember the study with the happy faces and sad face? Mm -hmm. Right. So there was, um, there were timing reaction times and there would be a screen and there would be a bunch of happy faces and one sad face. And then a, and another screen would have a bunch of sad faces with one happy face. So when you found whichever the, the face was happy or sad, you would click the button, the one face and mm. they timed the reaction time and people were exponentially faster, significantly faster at finding the sad face and the happy faces. Mm. Just finding the happy face and the sad faces. Yes. So it's kind of like, what is that about? And then taking a look at that of that are, are in an evolutionary perspective, we're constantly scanning the environment. We're tuned to this. We're maybe too good at this of scanning the environment, trying to find uh, the negatives, anything about danger. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, looking at a crowd and then there's someone who's scowly or sad, then that's an indicator that there might be danger. Yeah. So with social anxiety, I'm curious, perhaps those cues might be a bit stronger than what they really need to be. They're doing a disservice at that time, right? Yeah, that's an excellent point, evolutionary perspective. Have you ever noticed when you're walking down the street, you can always pick out the person who's staring at you or looking at you out of a crowd? Like you, you, or maybe it's just me. I don't know. You can always notice the person if someone's looking at you or staring at you. And I think that stems from that evolutionary piece as well. It made a heck of a lot of sense to yeah. notice the eyes that are the eyes of predators that are looking at you or lurking at you. Yeah. No one's looking it caught at looking at people before. <laughs> like yeah. if you're just no, if you're just kind of zoned out or you're looking at someone or curious and all of a sudden they look at you, you're like, oh. Like, how do they know? Or like, they, you know, they just, they might be glancing and they just notice and you're like, dang it. That's what Joanna does in her lunch break. She goes out there and stares at people. People staring. My goodness. I do. Yeah. No, I don't. But just to clarify. I mean, I, I actually all admit to being a people watcher in general. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm, yeah. and in big social situations, you know, sitting at a concert waiting for the band to come on or being at a sporting event or mm -hmm. sitting at the mall or something like that i love to just sit and just kind of watch people and just see see what they're all about you know it's kind of the kinda airport fun. oh the airport that's a big people watcher mm -hmm. it's all you can it? do that's right that's right and maybe that's something for a a socially anxious person to to learn from as well, you know, as we're talking about these different things about self-soothing and all of that. I guess when I when I think of someone who's shy, maybe having a hard time um, connecting with other people, uh, some things might be about this. Yeah, uh, you know, just observe for a while, just hang back and and watch how people interact with each other, and you know, maybe pick up some tips from that. Um, show curiosity about the other person. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a little scary for you to talk about yourself. Maybe you can. Ask them about themselves and just be curious and try to, you know, see if you can find some common ground, some connection there. We talked about some of these things in the How to Make Friends podcast from many months ago. So, mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, I think there are some, some ways that people can kind of 
on the on the milder side of of this uh, social anxiety spectrum here, that uh, people can kind of find ways to, to feel more comfortable and take smaller risks, like Brooke was talking about. You know, maybe talk to the checker at the store um, before really jumping into the, the full deep social yeah. situations. Yeah, and normalizing. Yeah. There's always going to be some sense of uncertainty, right? It's going to feel like a bit of a risk. Um, sure. And to know, like, I think that's the, the kind of the sitting with the discomfort, like you're going to probably feel a bit of it, but that doesn't need to be a bad thing. Like if you're waiting to feel super comfortable before going to talk to people, you're probably not going to feel that way. Um, it's true. But how much of it can you handle? And you can probably handle more than you think. Um, yeah. But all, and also reminding yourself that everyone has these insecurities about themselves. Mm -hmm. And usually people are so caught up with their own insecurities, not really focusing on yours. Um, and if somehow someone is judging you, I guarantee you, this is way more about them than this is about you. But we'll let uh, that play out. And that's their that's their issue, right? So um, true. It's like you know, we've used a lot of classroom or school examples here. But when you walk in late to class, and you're like, oh my gosh, everyone's looking at me. You feel so insecure and vulnerable. But uh, we've all seen other people walk in. You never you never really notice them. You don't really focus on them. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, trying to confront some of those those thoughts that pop into our minds. So very true, guys. This is this was socially wonderful tonight. Thank you for coming together with with all of us and uh, sharing your thoughts. Uh, I hope that this helps us to become less to feel less lonely in this world. All right, now I'm just tying together this topic with our book club topic rush out run don't walk get together by vivek murthy and uh join us in our book club in a couple of weeks wow i got two two copies here if you're watching the uh the youtube they're both holding up copies it's great um but that's it for today that's all we got please like and subscribe no really like I just I say that all the time, but like please, us, please give us a like, give us a subscribe. It helps other people find us, and we yes. we love to uh, expand this podcast. So please do like, please do subscribe. Apple, Google, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, or YouTube. Send your questions or questions about the book to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two. Make it your, your conversation starter. If you're opening up a conversation with someone, be like, hey, have you ever read the book together or listened to the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast? You really should give that a try. Then you'll, the conversation will just flow from there. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thanks, and everyone. Say good night. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.